Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 10 today, and why don't you go ahead and stand as you get there. Let's go ahead and read it. Uh, I'll, I'll read it. You guys can follow along with me. Uh, the text that the Lord has for us today. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, <clears throat> such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. This is your word to us this morning. And just studying it, Lord, I just know that it's for me. I know it's for me for right now. And God, I know that within this church, there are so many different weaknesses and plagues and distresses and infirmities that, that seem to be dragging us down. And I pray, God, that you would give us this biblical perspective of your sovereign work in what you're doing in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to glory in our weakness so that you can show yourself strong on our behalf for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Well, we have uh, probably about one more week in 2 Corinthians. We're in our second to last chapter here. And from chapters 10 on through 13, uh, Paul seems to be focusing his letter on a group of men that have crept into the church in Corinth who are, um, they are men who are false apostles. And finally, in chapter 11 last week, he just came out and called a spade a spade. He came out and called them false apostles, or in the Greek it was pseudo-apostolos, uh, the false apostles who have crept in peddling the gospel, boasting in themselves, trying to elevate themselves, uh, and, and doing Paul down uh, so that they could have the glory. And so from chapters 10 through 13, he really is specifically addressing those men, and he's addressing people from the church who have been siding with those men. 
Uh, in chapters 6 and 7, we saw that there were a large group of the Corinthians who had repented from following these men. They heard Paul's encouragement and letters of exhortation and encouragement through, Tim, uh, through Titus rather uh, to follow after Paul as he follows after Christ. And so that, that larger majority, they were, they were staying true. But there was still a minority that were being led astray by these pseudo-apostles. Now these, uh, these false apostles, they were guys that gloried in their own strength. They gloried in their pedigree. They gloried in their ability to uh, be philosophers and to be eloquent in speech. And they, they compared themselves by themselves, uh, Paul says in chapter 10, uh, so that they could glory in themselves. And so uh, with that, Paul has kind of had to argue by boasting in what God's done through him. Now, the difference is Paul was boasting, and he calls it foolishness, and he hates doing it. But the reason that he was doing it wasn't to elevate himself, but rather to save the Corinthians from destruction and perdition and to give God glory. And if you just go back in your Bibles, and might, you not, might not even have to turn in a page, but if you look at chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Hey, if anyone's going to glory, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And so as Paul goes into these times of boasting in what God has done through him, he says, I'm not boasting in myself, but I am boasting and glorying in the Lord. And so last week we saw in chapter 11 that these pseudo-apostles, Paul would be sarcastic and called them super-duper apostles because that's what the Corinthians wanted. They wanted someone that, that appeared to be super-duper. They looked good, they sounded good, everything was great on the outside. But on the inside, they were ravenous wolves. And he says these super-duper guys, they would boast in their uh, pedigree, that they are Jews, and Paul says, hey, if anyone's going to boast, I am a Jew of the Jews. And he goes in chapter 11 to say how Jewish he is. And not only did they boast in their pedigree, but they boasted in their experiences. And Paul says, hey, look at my service, that I've laid my life down and suffered. And while the pseudo-apostles would boast in all that they've done that's great and wonderful, Paul boasts in what he's done that has been affliction upon his bodies. He points to the flayed open back that he had and says, do you know that 195 times I've been whipped and stripped and whipped? I've been beaten with rods. I've gone through all of this stuff for the advancement of the gospel. That experience is proof that I have authority given from God. They would boast in their, uh, their experiences. And that brings us to this chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. And he says, I know it's not profitable for me to boast you're not hearing me anyways you know it's just reasoning that, that you're not even getting but so he says you know what I'm just going to move from boasting and things that might have anything to do with me and I'm going to be begging about God and what he has done something that I can take no credit for and that is visions and revelations that God has spoken to me Jesus has spoken to me. He has appeared to me many times. I think it's down in verse uh, 7. He uses the phrase abundance of revelations. Visions and revelations and, 
And man, this is a mark of my apostleship. This is, this is uh, the ace in the hand that Paul lays down. This is the hand that he has that trumps anything that these super duper false apostles have. He lays down that Jesus has been appearing to me. I was saved while I was murdering Christians because Jesus appeared to me. As I was preaching the gospel in cities that were going to hang me and take my neck, you know, Jesus would appear and speak words of comfort to me. Uh, he says, I wasn't even taught by men in Jerusalem, but for 14 years I spent time in Cilicia being discipled by Jesus himself. By revelation, he would say in the book of Galatians and in Ephesians. I was given all of this by revelation. And as he lays that down before the false apostles, they got nothing. You know, it's kind of like one of my favorite comedians, and I do love comedians, but Brian Regan. You know, he talks about how I would love to be the guy who walked on the moon. You know, man, if I was the guy that walked on the moon, I'd be at all these dinner parties, you know, and there'd be the guy over there bragging about what he's done and bragging about what he's done, and he's cutting his steak and listening to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then when they're finally done boasting and bragging, he finally just goes, I walked on the moon, you know, and it's just like, boom, you got nothing. The guy that walked on the moon, he trumped it all. And that's, that's what Paul does here. He just lays something down that just trumps everything that they've got. And so he's going to go into that in the next uh, five verses. He says in verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. <clears throat> and so he does this speaking in the third person. You know, uh, he does the, you know, uh, the classic I know a guy, let's just say hypothetically, you know, when the whole time he's talking about himself and it's clear in the passage, he's talking about himself and he finally just comes down to, to be like, this is about me. Okay. And yet he's so careful that he doesn't take any credit. That's why he starts out in the third person. I don't, I don't want you looking at me as if I'm the awesome guy. I just want not, I don't want any credit. And so I'm just going to tell it like it's not even me that this happened to. I know a man, but you need to know that this man was in Christ. This is the mark, my friends, of someone who is born again. This is, this is a Christian. It's someone who's in Christ. And I would ask you today, are you in Christ? You are either in Christ or you're out of Christ. Have you been born again? Have you been regenerated? Have you been given a new heart? I'm not asking you if you're religious, if you're a red-blooded American, if you're voting Republican or Democrat, if your dad was a missionary, if your great-grandpa founded a gospel mission somewhere or is the founder of the Lutheran Church in Prineville. Any of that stuff doesn't matter. Where are you at? Where is your heart at? Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ today, you have been born again. You have the hope of heaven. You have the hope of what will read happen to Paul here, of, of being caught up into paradise. But if you are out of Christ, then you have no part of Christ. And even now you are perishing. And even then you will perish. You will be sent to hell. 
And so what a, a beginning that Paul gives us that I was in Christ or this man was in Christ when he had such a revelation of paradise. And I would hope today that God would give you a revelation of paradise here as you would come to him and be found in him. It's interesting, the New Testament language is in Christ, that we would be in Christ, that we would be in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, that we'd be clothed in Christ. But then we also have things that we are in Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory, Peter says. In, we are in Christ and we have Christ in us. He was in Christ. And it was 14 years ago when this happened. And he just says, man, he says it twice. Is I don't know if this was a vision that I had or a revelation or if my spirit went, you know, or, or if it was my whole body and everything that went to paradise. I don't know. And he says, and I'm comfortable if only God knows that. And he says it twice. And a lot of preachers and pastors, they try to be like, it was most certainly his body that was also there. And, or no, no, you know, it's like Paul didn't know. We don't know. God knows. That's all that matters. And you know what? The secret things belong to the Lord. There are mysteries in the scriptures that, that, you know, theologians battle upon forever. And they all love Jesus and they all love his word. And they all want to see Christ glorified. And you know what? When there's secret things, they belong to the Lord. Doesn't mean we don't search them out and look at the Bible. But when it comes down to Paul even saying, I don't know, only God knows, then we need to go, that's the way it is then. That's the way it is. He says, but here's what happened. This one, such a one, whoever it was, I don't you know, whoever it was, was caught up to the third heaven, verse 2 says. He's going to use the phrase again in verse 4. He was caught up into paradise. Now, the word caught up, it's the Greek word harpazo, and it means to be snatched up into heaven. In the Latin, it's the word raptus, or rapture, where we get the word rapture. So this guy, whoever he's talking about, was raptured into heaven. He was caught up into heaven. Now, when did this happen? If it's Paul, and as you would continue to read, it's clear that it's Paul. He's using this as a point to show apostolic authority to him uh, over his life. Well, there's a lot of different suggestions. About 14 years ago, Paul was in, in his missionary journey in the region of Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. And you might remember that as he was in Lystra, certain Jews came down and began persecuting him to the point of stoning him where he was thought to be dead and taken up out of the city. Man, when you study stoning, most of the time, the first thing that happens in a stoning is they find a cliff and they throw you off of it. And then they begin to throw stones off the cliff onto you. If there's no cliff around, they just take giant rocks and they pelt you with it till you're dead. And they thought that's what happened to Paul. And perhaps it did. We don't really know. But he was brought out of the city. He was brought out of the city, taken up dead. Uh, chapter, I guess we got it up there. Cool. They supposed him to be dead. But then right after, it says that the brothers came out. They surrounded him. And he got up. Disciples gathered around him, rose up. And what did he do after he rose up? He went right back into the city. Started preaching the gospel again. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit comes upon us in such a way that we are bold witnesses to the point of, and the word witness is marturo, that we become martyrs for Jesus so that we would get up and be like, let's go back in. Let's go preach the gospel to the point of death. And that's just one suggestion of perhaps where uh, Paul was when this happened. And it was about 14 years ago. And he says at that point or sometime around then, he was caught up into the third heaven. What's the third heaven? Well, the Jews would believe, as they would depart from the scriptures, that there were seven heavens. It's where the TV show came out, seven heavens. No, not really. That was a 90s joke, sorry. <laughs> Most of you don't remember. All right. They believe there were seven heavens, um, and many cults believe that there are multiple heavens. Mormon theology is that there's many heavens, and over eternity, you kind of work your way up out of being in the, the hellish heaven all the way up into a heavenly heaven. But what we believe is that biblically, there are three heavens, and the first heaven is just where the birds fly around. Right here, you can walk outside today and see the first heaven. The birds are there, the clouds are there, it's blue, okay? It's underneath the atmosphere. And then we have the second heaven. And we see that that's where the sun and the moon and the stars are. This is the second heaven that we see in scripture. And then the third heaven we see is where the throne of God is, where he himself is. And Paul calls it here in verse 4, paradise. So what's the third heaven? The third heaven is paradise, and the language is taken from Persian Sanskrit, where it means a lush, luxurious garden that's enclosed in. It's the same phrase that was used to speak of the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 2. Just this wonderful, just this place that's, that's paradise. There's no other word for it. It's luxurious. It's comfortable. It's peaceful. It's there's luscious flowers, you know, if you would imagine the Garden of Eden. There's, there's no sinful presence there. Nothing that's been marred by sin there. Paradise. Jesus would use the phrase in, in Luke chapter 23 as he hung on the cross. When the thief looked over at him and finally repented of mocking Jesus. And he says, what are you mocking Jesus for? He didn't do anything wrong. We did something wrong. And he looked over at Jesus and he said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? You know the word paradise from this verse, don't you? He said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm telling you the truth. Today we'll be there together. We'll be in the place that one day Paul will have a vision of. We'll be in the place that in, if, in Revelation chapter 2 the church in Ephesians will be written a letter by Jesus himself where he says, if you will overcome this period of lukewarmness and, and, and forsaking your first love, then I will let you come into the paradise of God and you'll get to eat from the tree of life there. It's a wonderful hope that we have of heaven, the third heaven, paradise. But you know what else? Paul says that he was caught up there. And if you'll allow me for just a moment to kind of use this verse as a springboard into another theological truth for a moment. If you are found in Christ today, you have the same hope of what Paul saw. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, 
It goes on to speak of the catching up of Christians. It's something that we can have hope in. He says, I want you to have hope in the the rapture of the church, that Christians will be caught up, that anyone found in Christ will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says that that will happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. In a, in a, you know, I think that's like one one thousandth of a second is what the, the twink is of, of an eye. Not the blink, but the twink, you know. We will not all sleep, First Thessalonians says. Oh, here we are. We're back in First Corinthians 15. It'll be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It'll be at the last trumpet. And there's a whole lot of theology into what that last trumpet is. But the trumpet will sound, and as you look at Revelation chapter 4, the Lord speaks like a trumpet, it says. And he says, come up here. And John is caught up into the throne room of God. So this could be the Lord's voice saying, come up here, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And then 1 Thessalonians 4 says, and then we will be raised, and we will all meet the Lord in the air together. But my friends, that is a promise that is not for someone who is out of Christ. Someone who's not in Christ doesn't have the hope of being caught up at any moment to meet the Lord in the air and to be in paradise. But rather, they have a hope of judgment. They have the hope of judgment. They have the hope of the wrath of God coming upon them. The beautiful thing is, is that today where you sit, the hope can be yours. If you would come like a little child and just say, I don't know what all this guy up there is talking about. But I tell you what, I walked through those doors today and I was not in Jesus. Nor was Jesus in me. Lord, will you come into me? Can I be found in you? I remember growing up singing a cute little hymn. Into my heart, into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in to stay, come in today, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And you could just pray that like a little kid in Sunday school class. And you know what? That's the type of faith that Jesus wants from you. You got to come to him like a little kid. Say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Change me. I want to be born again and I want to have this hope. For those of us that have lost family members, or friends, and the whole of their life would point to that they never knew Jesus. They were never found in Christ. But if we had an opportunity, if a friend of ours had an opportunity to speak the good news of Jesus into their life on their deathbed, there's hope that they came to know Jesus there. Where? From that cross passage. Here's a man who was, while he's there being crucified, is mocking Jesus. On his deathbed, on his death cross. And then he goes, wait a minute. And the Holy Spirit begins reasoning with him until he repents and confesses the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, on your deathbed, I'm telling you this, assuredly, today we will be in paradise together. And if that's you, you walked through those doors today, you did not have that hope when you came in. Right now, in the middle of the sermon, give your heart to Jesus. Be found in Christ today. And you'll have the hope of heaven. He goes on to say, verse 5, Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I am 
might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak of the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he, above what he sees me to be or hears me to be. There's a few run-on sentences in 2 Corinthians that, that kind of baffle the mind a bit. And so if we, let's just read the Phillips translation. Uh, I believe I have it for this passage. It says, this man heard words that cannot and indeed must not be translated into human speech. And, and I kind of hopped over that. Let me touch on that for a second. You know, Paul saw paradise. He saw paradise. saw Jesus. He heard things that he only in a shadowy way tells us about. Inexplicable things. Things that can't be explained. Things that can't be uttered. And the language is that it's not lawful to be uttered. If that's Paul, the apostle, then what are we to do with all of the books that are written today and movies that are produced and things that are out there of people who went to heaven and had 90 minutes there, 30 minutes there, wrote a book about it, have a million dollar movie and book deal, and most of it doesn't line up with what we have in scripture. What are we to do with that? They're (laughs) They're probably lying, Dan. Thanks, brother. Speak it out, man. Good job this week. Last week you got something wrong, but I'm glad you still got it, man. <laughs> just kidding. It wasn't wrong, wrong. It was just mostly wrong. Just kidding. Dan's, Dan's my bro. We can do this to each other, right, Dan? He's going to come up here and kill me, but other than that. <laughs> if Paul says, you know what, man, I'm defending my apostleship, but you know what? I'm not even, even going to brag about this myself because, because it could get taken too far. You know, in 1 Corinthians, it says that eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those that love him. But then it says, but God has revealed those things to us through his spirit. What we need to know about what paradise is like has already been shown to us in the word by the spirit of God dwelling in us. All that we need to know He's already been showing us. So use extreme caution when you hear the tales from a friend of how they went to heaven. And I know a man. I've died three times and I've been to heaven. And what he speaks about heaven is theology that is Mormon in nature. And as he was in this church speaking to me about how he had been to heaven, and I say, you know what? That sounds like Mormonism to me. And I don't see that in the Bible. What was the response? Don't tell me you didn't see it in the Bible. You just know in your heart that it's true. I can't do that. I got to stick to the scriptures, the inerrant, inspired word of God, if I'm going to take any dogmatic stance on anything. And so we are very cautious. It's, a, it's an industry that we have today. These stories of people being in heaven and hearing and seeing things. Or maybe even 90 minutes in hell. And I've been caught up into this stuff before. What we need to know now has already been revealed to us. Back to the Phillips translation. If we, if we still have it there. Okay. I'm honestly proud of an experience like that. But I've made up my mind not to boast of anything personal. Except of what may be called my weaknesses. If I should want to boast, I should certainly be no fool to be proud of my experiences, and I should be speaking nothing but the sober truth. Yet I'm not going to do so, for I don't want anyone to think of more highly of me than his experience of me, and what he hears of me should warrant. And so he's going to jump from this telling of the revelations and visions into 
Boasting in infirmities, the end of verse 5 says. And verses 7 through 10 is kind of part 2 today as we wrap up. He's going to speak of weakness. He's going to speak of a thorn in the flesh. And if I may give a bit of a, of a thesis statement for part 2 today, I want you to ask yourself, could it be possible that the weaknesses that I have in my body in my heart, in my mind, that I go through day to day, and you know what those weaknesses are. Spiritual weakness, mental weakness, physical weakness. Could it be that that is divine providence of God and is the key to my usefulness here on earth? Ask yourself that. Could my weakness be the providence of God and the key to my usefulness here. Paul says that it is. And he says in verse 7, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. These visions, and there's not just one vision, but I believe in the book of Acts, you can read of seven different revelations in the book of Acts alone that Paul saw the Lord and heard the Lord or speaks of those accounts. They are an abundance of revelations from the Lord. Even the best man can get puffed up about that. And Paul realized that. And so he says, I'm going to quit talking about this. And I'm just going to look at just, man, I got nothing. In and of myself, Paul, Saul, whatever you want to call me, I've got nothing in and of myself. What I've got is a big thorn in the flesh. And the language here speaks of much more than a sliver, which is painful. was helping Matt Vaughn build some furniture this week and uh, got a teeny weeny little tiny sliver and I couldn't even see it, but I knew it was there somewhere. And if you get in the right, and uh, just keep working and, ah, oh, what is this? Can't, ah, oh, what? Uh, might not even be there. You know, ah, I want, you know, get my pocket knife out and like digging around in there and, and teeny weeny little thorn. But the language or sliver, the language speaks of much more than that. It speaks of something that causes uh, just intense agony. It speaks of something that can even be translated a giant sharpened piece of wood that men are impaled upon. And it can even speak of the cross. And so, while sliver certainly can do the trick because it's an irritation, and man, you're just going along your day, you're like, ah, I have a weakness. On the same hand, there's, there's crosses that come into our life. There's affliction that comes into our life. There's agony and excruciating pain that comes into our life, but it doesn't just come into our life. This verse here, verse 7, shows the sovereignty of God over our sufferings because the the thorn in the flesh or the cross, whatever you might want to consider it to be, it is something that is given to us. Divinely given. And Paul had it divinely given to him. It was a thorn in the flesh. It was a painful affection, one man said. It was a messenger of Satan to punch Paul and give him black eyes, is what the language speaks of, to buffet him. That's a really poor, it's more of a, you know, I don't know, 
black eyes were occurring in Paul's life because of this. Now, there's a lot of debate on what this was. Maybe it was a sin issue and a sin struggle that, that Paul always was battling, that the Lord allowed. Maybe it was something that was literally this messenger of Satan and there was just spiritual oppression, spiritual warfare, as in Job, when the Lord says, you've got Job, go and have your way on him, only don't harm his flesh. And Satan goes from the throne room of God and goes to attack Job for what purpose? That God could be glorified as Job suffers well. And at the end of Job's life, Job would say at the end of it all, you know what, all that stuff that happened to me, the death of my uh, children, all of them, the, the, the death of my family farm and ranch, the loss of everything, the boils and the infirmities and all of this stuff and the rough conversations with my friends at the end of Job's life. Do you know what he says? That rascally devil. Always doing that kind of stuff. What does he say? He says, the Lord was over this. The Lord was the one that was sovereignly over it. And the Lord was using it for my good. The end of the book of Job. What happened? Job has much more than he ever had at the beginning of the book. Just as Romans 8 says, it was for Job's good and it was for God's glory. He was over it. And Paul says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan, just like Job, to buffet me. And perhaps some believe it was physical infirmity. Tertullian was kind of one of the first guys to say, you know what, I believe in through history that what Paul had was an earache or a migraine. And that's what Paul had. Uh, Sir William Ramsey wrote that he had a type of malaria that came from his missions trips. And I remember studying this at the end of the book of Acts. That as Paul went north and up through uh, Asia Minor, uh, that, that he would contract malaria through these intense hikes and through the atmospheres that he's taken the gospel to. And as he's going on his missionary journey, he contracts malaria. And Sir William Ramsey writes that this malaria would cause even much more than physical infirmity. It would cause a self-loathing. I hate myself as he's going through this. It would be a severe headache, and Ramsey writes, like a red-hot bar being thrust through Paul's forehead. Whatever it was, it seems that it affected his eyesight. Galatians writes of this infirmity. Is there Galatians uh, chapter uh, 4 there? Uh, anyways, Galatians writes of that, you know, you've been putting up with my infirmities. At the end of the book, he says, Look with what large letters I've written this myself. It appears that this malaria, this thorn in the flesh, it causes he's blind. One doctor says it seems that Paul's going through, and I'm going to butcher it. So if you're a doctor in here, chill for a second. Optopia. Optopia, okay? Or optopia, something along those lines. And it's like 11,000 times worse than pink eye. Like you've got sand coming out of your eyes basically as they're glued shut and it renders you blind in an excruciating pain. It's believed that that is something that Paul had. Whatever it was, it was painful affliction thorn. And God gave that to Paul so that he wouldn't be puffed up in his ministry. 
so that he wouldn't think, you know, I am something. I've got quite the testimony, don't I? I'm Paul the Apostle. No, he says, you know what? I'm struggling so bad right now. I can't make it. I can't do it. I got nothing. When we were in Nepal, we had a lot of guys get violently ill as we're hiking up in the Himalaya mountains. We had Jeremy on the team who got something demonic up and in his body. We don't even know. Definite thorn in the flesh. And we had to keep going. We had to keep trekking. And that poor guy, man, we're, we're down, you know, in the kitchen, you know, having a good time together. And he's up there huddling in a sleeping bag with like a high fever. And then next morning, like, we got to get going, man. We, gotta, we can't stay here. And he starts trekking. And he's going along the trail. You know, we're like, man, he's really hurting. Let's gather around him and pray for him. Lord, we just pray for you. If you could be quiet while we're praying for you, then it might work. You know, severe affliction. And while we're trekking through the mountains, we, we find a new friend, Franz. Franz was from an island taking, uh, by Madagascar taking a three-year vacation trekking through Asia. And for three nights, Franz would end up at the same place as us. And he watched Jeremy suffer, along with many other guys. And I remember I was there with, on the trail with Jeremy when Franz walked by and said, you're at the end of yourself, aren't you? As he walks by, he's like, you're done. And Jeremy, all I got is Jesus. It's all I got is Jesus. It's Jesus is all I got. As he starts going up the mountain. At the end of the trip, we were down at the end of our trek, and there's Franz, and there's Jeremy. Jeremy made it because of Jesus. And I want you to consider today Perhaps the affliction that you've been given that's a thorn in the flesh and the language is that this is a continual thing. Perhaps that weakness, that thorn in the flesh has been given to you today in the providence of God so that you could be useful in ministry. You want to get shelved real quick in ministry? Start telling yourself that you really are pretty smart. Start telling yourself that you're pretty good looking dude or dude s start telling yourself you know what the world has yet to realize how awesome i am and one day they will and from our youth we are raised with motivational speakers in school and teachers and nursery workers and our you know preschools and all of that that are telling us you are just the perfect little angel and you just you're going to amount to something and it, yeah see she, he's been told that get out of here no i'm kidding we love you caleb He's not ready for this yet. You're precious, Caleb. You're precious. But we've been puffed up since our youth to think that we're something when we need to be brought low. We need to be brought low to realize that he's something. He's everything. And that's what Paul says in verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Some believe that this is... uh, like a figure of speech, and that it was many, many times. But he pleaded with the Lord, just as the Lord says, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking me for things. And he pled with the Lord three times, persistent in prayer that he would be healed. And the Lord didn't heal him. The Lord can heal. We believe that. We pray for healing here. And yet sometimes the Lord says, hey, 
I'm going to let this thorn remain so that you can realize my grace is sufficient for you. My love, my presence, my all in all upon your all, my all is more than enough for all of you. My grace is sufficient and my strength, it's actually made to be perfect when you are weak. And that is the story of everyone that God uses in the Bible. You don't find a useful person in the scriptures that is puffed up and arrogant and hoping in their own resources. You find people that are at the end of themselves and are like, I don't talk good. You must talk through me, God. You know, and the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to do that. Just calm down. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. But I'm afraid of their faces, Lord. I'm so scared. I can't be used. Hey, don't be afraid of their faces. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. All throughout the scriptures. And in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's verse 34, it says that these heroes of the faith would quench the violence of fire and escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. Man, I hope that today the Lord would show you you're not all that, but he is. That he would show you your weakness and you would embrace that weakness as a wonderful gift from the Lord so that his grace could be poured out upon you. You could find him to be your strength and a ready help in time of need. You would hope in him and not in yourself. You would see his strength totally made perfect in your times in weakness. This is such a key to the Christian life that Paul would say at the end of verse 9, I would most gladly rather boast in my sicknesses and weaknesses and infirmities so that there'd be more of Jesus upon me. I want more of this weakness so that there could be more of him. I want more, as we close verse 10, infirmities, reproaches, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. Paul had realized when he was weak, the Lord was strong. Let's go ahead and have the worship team come on up. Let's just put our Bibles down, maybe just move our hearts and our minds just in an attitude of prayer to hear from the Lord. Any last words that he would just speak to us, but guys, this is something that we need the Holy Spirit to press into our hearts today. You know, Facebook can kind of be like a window into people's souls sometimes. And, and you see people that you know call themselves Christians. And you see them go through tough times. And then you hear the phrases that just, oh, oh, no, don't say that. And it's usually something like, I'm strong. I'm going to get through this. And then people yeah, you are. You are awesome. You got this. 
And man, we need to war against that. That is our default in our flesh. To take pride in our flesh, in our confidence in our flesh. Our PhDs, our SAT scores, our inherent abilities, our good looks, our eloquent speech. Our physical strength. Those are things that give you glory. But the Lord chooses the ones who are nothing in and of themselves, who hope in nothing of themselves, and who hope completely upon His grace, His love. His power, His might. Oh, that we would learn that as Christians. His strength is made perfect when we are weak. Lord God, we want to come to you today and lay down our pride, lay down our pedigree, lay down our heritage that we might boast in. We want to lay down our physical strength. We want to say like the psalmist that some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. We would say like the prophet that it's not by our might and it's not by our power, but it's by your spirit And Lord, as we have speech impediments and we have physical infirmities and we have diseases that are just wreaking havoc on our bodies, and as we have pled with you three times, multiple times, we've come to the prayer meeting, we've been anointed with oil, we've believed you for healing, and you in your good grace have decided, you know what, I've got something better for you. You're going to glorify me in your sufferings. You're going to suffer well so that I can be glorified in your weakness. And teach us to be okay with that, Lord. Teach us to be more than okay with that. Let us rejoice in that. As James says, let us have joy as we fall into various trials, knowing that that produces patience. Let us be as Paul in Romans 5, in glory in tribulation, knowing that you are working something for us there. Lord, let us embrace the weaknesses and the infirmities and the persecution rather than run from it. We rest upon your grace and we say be strong in our lives. As we close in worship, we're going to observe communion and come forward during this last song. And we're going to take the elements of communion and we're going to look at the Bread, which is a symbol of the body of Jesus being ripped and being as a sponge, absorbing the wrath of God against our sin. And we're going to take the cup and remember the blood of Jesus that was poured out so that we could be washed from our iniquities. And as you come forward during this last song, just be free to take the elements to your chairs and pray with your family and 
confess your weakness before the Lord and receive upon yourself His strength. As you were weak in sin, He was strong in holiness and saved you from your sin. Let's proclaim that today as we take of the cup and of the bread.